Good morning, everyone. Today's reading is from Luke 18, verses 31 to 43. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Helena. And thank you, Eleanor, for your faith. I love the fact that Eleanor encouraged everybody to listen to the sermon before she'd even heard it, before she wondered whether it was worth listening to or not. So we like that sort of faith. It's good to have colleagues who are for you. Um, if you're here as a visitor, as you've heard, you're here on Vision Sunday. You may be exploring if this is the church the Lord's calling you to join, in which case We pray that the vision that God's given us would stir you and you'll feel called to join us. It may be that you're just here um, as a visitor, you're part of another church, we pray great blessing on you in your own church. And what we're praying now is that God will stir us afresh to play our part in what he's doing here. So let's pray. Lord, we praise you that ultimately we are your church, that Jesus, you are the head of the church. Praise you for uh, those people, Thomas Bromley and others, who 150 years ago planted this church with the vision to reach people here. Praise you for how that vision has grown from just this parish to the town and now the area. And we pray, send your spirit on us afresh, that each of us would be stirred afresh to give ourselves in your service, both within what happens here at St Paul's and beyond. And we pray that as I speak, you would speak to each one of us and that together as a church, we would be in step with what you're doing. And we ask it in your name. 
Amen. Uh, if you were here last year, you will know that I almost excelled myself in creativity and I did a PowerPoint slide. Uh, this was it. Or this was on a... There we are. It's, it's about the limit of my creativity. It's why we normally have Bible verses put up. Um, I actually had two others, if you remember. It was really very remarkable. But this was the vision that God has given us as a church, that together with others, we can't possibly do this just on our own, there are other churches in the area, to give everyone in the area a meaningful opportunity to respond to the good news of Jesus. By Easter 2033, this is a 10-year vision, uh, 2033 is the 2000th anniversary by our calendar of the resurrection. Uh, Jesus was 30 when he started his ministry. He was crucified and rose again three years later. Our calendar may be one or two years out, but by our calendar, 2033 is the 2000th anniversary. And we felt stirred to do this together with Christians all around the world, that as we celebrate the 2000th anniversary of the resurrection, we know that we've given everybody in the area a meaningful opportunity to respond to good news about Jesus. Uh, and over the last year or so, we've refreshed our purpose. We'll talk about that, of following Jesus the way, the truth, and life, as it says in the bricks over my head. We've clarified our vision. We've looked at our values. We've clarified a statement of faith together with the Church of England Evangelical Council there are one or two doctrines that are being questioned in our day and we want to be clear about what we believe so people know where we are. We're part of the historic Christian church, believing the doctrines that have been part of the church for many, many years and we're not proposing any novelty in doctrine. We want to present the truth with creativity and in the power of the Spirit. Uh, the big question last year was, well, how big is this area? And it slightly depends who works with us. And over the last year... We've been particularly talking about with Church of England churches out in the villages. We've for a long time worked with churches in Leamington, and we pray that will continue. Uh, but if we put the map up of the sort of area we're talking about, that's Leamington at the top in the middle. And these churches, uh, their leaders have really said, yeah, we want to work with you. We've had some days for clergy gathering together, talking to pray, to pray together. And this is not just a one-way thing. It's not St Paul's overflowing it's all of these churches are part of, we're all part of the body of Christ. We all have things to offer. We all have needs for help. Our area is not really going north from here very much because there are mission hubs in Kenilworth and Coventry and Rugby. Uh, but there isn't a mission hub. Oh, did someone mind just putting that blind down? Do you know, I'm being dazzled by the sun and I won't be able to see my notes. Uh, I don't want to shut it out too much. But over here as well, we've got lovely people who are sunbathing. And it may be too much of a good thing. Um, we've got, there are other mission hubs in the diocese. There's one in Ulster to the west. We've got Kenilworth and Coventry and Rugby. So we're feeling a particular call going south and in the area and slightly to the east. Uh, so that's the area we're talking about. And we've been building relationships, looking to see... We want to work with anybody who would like to work with us, but they need to know our vision and our values for how we can work closely and we can work with others as well. So what has today's reading from Luke got to say into our vision? We're going through Luke's Gospel. We started almost exactly a year ago. It was Advent Sunday last year when we started with Zechariah and Elizabeth waiting for what God had promised. And through Christmas, uh, we've been following Luke's Gospel. We'll go another couple of weeks, then we'll pause for Christmas, and we'll pick up Luke's Gospel again in the new year. Uh, so two parts to our reading today. First of all, Jesus heading for the cross, verses 31 to 34. 
I'll read these again. Not because Helena didn't read them well, she read them beautifully, but it's good to let them sink in. Jesus took the twelve aside and said, we're going to Jerusalem. Everything that's written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He'll be handed over to the Gentiles. They'll mock him, insult him and spit on him. They'll flog him and kill him. On the third day he will rise again. The disciples didn't understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them and they didn't know what he was talking about. I love the fact they're very honest. We sometimes feel the same when we're uh, hitting some bits of God's truth, just trying to make head or tail of it. The whole of Luke's gospel, as all the gospels are, are really one big extended passion narrative as we head for the cross. This is where Jesus came to reveal the love of God, but he came to die on the cross for our sins, to make a way for us to be forgiven. Uh, he is the way to the Father, and he made that way by dying for our sins on the cross uh, he didn't stay dead. He rose again. At the end of the gospel, we'll celebrate the resurrection. And I'm not going to speak much about the cross now because for most of next term, we're going to be thinking about it. As we go through the last four or five chapters of Luke's gospel, we'll be heading to the cross. We do this in Holy Week or from Passion Sunday for two weeks every year. But next term is going to feel like an extended Holy Week as we read the end of Luke's gospel, as we really have a chance to dwell on the cross. And as the hymn says, when I survey the wondrous cross, it unlocks from us love and devotion, and that is a good thing. But when we get to Easter and we celebrate the resurrection, we will be ready for it. And, and we worship Jesus who, is, who died for our sins, who rose again. Uh, and he calls us to walk the way of the cross. We've noticed this a few times in Luke's gospel already. But just one example, Luke 9, 23 and 24 we got those verses there. Here we are. Jesus said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Jesus is very realistic about what it means to follow him. It's not easy. We take up our cross. That means if you were carrying a cross, you were going to die. And we die to ourselves and our own selfish desires and follow Jesus. And then we discover it's the way to life and joy. And uh, my three-minute speech at General Synod this week was about following Jesus is costly, but it's joyful. Obeying his commands seem to be restrictive, but actually they're the way to life. And he walked the way of the cross and he calls us to walk the way of the cross. And much more on that next term. Then we've got a second part to our reading, the story of the blind man. Let's read that again. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him, told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. This is a fabulous story. This blind man who's been sitting there, goodness knows for how many years, in his place on the edge of Jericho, begging. 
He's no doubt having enough to live on. He's there steadily. And when Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? It may not be as daft a question as it seems to us. It's obvious he wants to see. But of course, that would have changed his livelihood, his identity. Some people prefer to be in the known rather than set free into what's unknown. Uh, But this, not this blind man, he's heard about Jesus. He must have done. And when he hears a commotion, he asks what's going on. They say, Jesus is passing by. And it could be the one chance in his life he had. So he cries out. And he's not going to be shut up by anybody. And he cries out for Jesus to help him. And Jesus hears him and says, what do you want me to do for you? It's a great question. I commend it to you for your prayer times in the week. Imagine you're sitting there in the morning or walking around the town or however you do your prayer time. Uh, or pulled over in a lay-by or in your lunch break, whatever it is, the best time in the day. Imagine Jesus saying, what do you want me to do for you? And sometimes we prefer just to stick with the familiar. But if we do, we miss out on all that God's calling us to. And uh, this man says, I want to see. And Jesus restores his sight, but then he does something more. Did you notice he said, your faith has healed you? It's the same word. We've seen this four times so far in Luke's gospel. It's the word sozo that both means healing and salvation. Sometimes translated, your faith has saved you. And some translations translate it that way. We've seen this four times where Jesus does something for an individual on the surface, the physical presenting need, but then he does something deeper within them. There was the woman who came to the dinner party and wept over Jesus in Luke 7 and wiped his feet with her tears. And Jesus said that her love demonstrated her forgiveness. And he said to her, your faith has healed you, saved you, sowed so. This is an inner thing. We saw it with the, when Jesus was on the way to raise Jairus' daughter, the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years who thought, if I just touch the hem of his garment, that's mustard seed faith, isn't it? If I just touch the hem of his garment, that will be enough. And she did, and Jesus felt power go out of him, and he said, who touched me? And they said, what are you going on about? There's crowds all around me. He said, no, someone touched me. I felt power go out of me. And the woman said it was her, and he said that she was healed, but then he said, your faith has saved you, sowed so. There was both the physical and then there was the deep inner thing. We saw it a couple of weeks ago with the ten lepers. Do you remember that story? The ten lepers who cried out to Jesus for healing. He said, go and show yourselves to the priests. And on the way, they were all, the word Luke used as catharizo. They were cleansed, cathartic word. Luke is a doctor. He knows the difference between a medical thing and an an inner personal thing. And then the tenth leper comes back to say thank you to Jesus. And he says, weren't there ten? But he said, your faith has saved you, healed you, sowed so. So ten of them were physically restored, one of them inwardly saved. And it's the fourth time in Luke's Gospel we've got this. The blind man's sight is restored, but Jesus says his faith has healed him inwardly or saved him. It's not just his physical sight but there's that inner sight 
Uh, I do commend you to read different translations of the Bible. If you only read one, no one translation can ever cover all the nuance of the different words. And uh, we try and bring this out when we're preaching, when it's helpful. But in this case, we would miss it otherwise. Luke is a doctor. He knows the difference between being mentally ill. He calls that moonstruck, what we would call lunatic in some ways in the past. But now we understand mental health properly. And he knows being demonized when it's a spiritual oppression. And he uses different words. He knows the difference between being physically ill and being inwardly restored. Uh, He's a doctor and he uses the different terms. There is mental illness. There is spiritual oppression. There is physical illness. There is being healed, fully saved. And this man, uh, he can see, he's saved, and he starts to follow Jesus. And he is a picture for what our vision is about. Our vision is to give every person in this area the opportunity to connect with Jesus, to respond to the good news of Jesus. We can't make every person take that. There were people in Jericho as Jesus passed through who would have uh, been glad to hear him, glad to see him, and on he went and wouldn't have given him another thought. They had an opportunity to find more, maybe didn't take it. This man took it. And our vision is to give everybody in the area an opportunity, a meaningful opportunity, to hear about Jesus, to respond to the good news of him. Now, we know that pretty much everybody is crying out. In one sense, a bit like the blind man who cried out for Jesus. Everybody is crying out, what's gone wrong with our world? Why is it so broken? Why is the world off its hinges? Is a phrase I heard someone use recently. And people here in so much need, there's an epidemic of loneliness. There's a problem of finance and not having enough heat or food. Uh, Some people look like they've got it all together on the surface, but inwardly there's there's pain and relational breakdown. Uh, The night before I was ordained 35 years ago, the bishop gave his charge and he said, behind nine out of ten doors you knock on, there will be heartache and pain. And I was a naive young 25-year-old and thought, well, maybe behind half. But actually, it is pretty much everywhere. Not all the time. By God's grace, there are seasons when all is well. Uh, But most people carry some sort of pain, and most people are crying out for God to help. And the good news we have is that Jesus has so much more help than the presenting thing. Again and again, Jesus will connect with the presenting need. Think of the paralyzed man laid let down through the roof. He heals him physically, but then he says your sins are forgiven. He goes much deeper to the deepest need. As we're made for eternity and we need our sins forgiven uh, to be healed fully for all eternity. Now people may not know that they need Jesus, but they do. Our world and our society has turned its back on God and of course that's unsustainable takes a few years before the hinges come off, but it begins to unravel, and we know why. And we have the good news that can put our world back together if people come to Jesus and there's forgiveness and there's healing and then following him his way. Augustine said famously to God, you've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. And whatever people's presenting need is, There's a deeper need. 
that we're made to know God and Jesus is the way. He is the way, as it says in the bricks over my head. He is the truth and the life. Now, Jesus is not going to be walking physically through Leamington or Harbury or Kyneton or Wellsbourne or wherever in our We are the body of Christ now. Jesus is risen and we are his body. We are his hands and his feet. And if we're going to give people a meaningful opportunity to respond to the good news of Jesus, we need to be there together with others and we need to be being Jesus. Uh, We need to go where they are, which means it can't just be about what we do here and inviting people in. There has to be going out beyond to where people are. And we need to pray that people would see something of Jesus in us, individually and together. St Paul says in 1 Corinthians that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Where where you go, the atmosphere changes because you take God, the Holy Spirit, with you. Where we are as we worship together, we're a living temple filled with the Spirit. And we pray that people will meet Jesus. So first and most importantly in this 10-year vision, we need to be more and more like Jesus ourselves, individually and together. And that's where our purpose and our values come in. We spent last year working these through as we head for our 150th year. Uh, We pretty much got them agreed. We haven't worked out the really clever way of presenting them so they look great. But I've got an improvement on last year's PowerPoint for you. I've had a little bit of help with this. And I'm not going to embarrass the three different people who've helped me because if they'd given it more than a few minutes, they could all have done it a lot better. But they know that it didn't need to look good for me. So, um, so here we have uh, our purpose and values. Let's put a slide up. Uh, we are following Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life. We'll hold that there for a bit. That's on the bricks over our head. Uh, this is not what it's going to look like at the end, and it probably won't be the colours. Uh, But this is just a way of holding together our purpose and our values. Jesus is the way to the Father. He's not just a way. Religions are not different routes up the same mountain. We may agree ethically on lots of things. (laughs) There's plenty of disagreement in the Church of England ethically at the moment. But uh, we we believe Jesus is the way to the Father. Many roads to Jesus, but he's the way to the Father. He shows us the truth. If he hadn't, we'd all be trying to guess our own way. Every other religion says, that's the way, follow it. Jesus says, I am the truth. And if you know the truth, it will set you free. He is the life. He said that he's come that we may have life in abundance. And the paradox is that as we bow our knee to him and give our life away to him, then we find he gives his risen life to us. Now, we noticed last year that the three symbols that were put here a generation ago on the wall outside fit very nicely with this way, the truth and the life. There's a symbol of the cross. That this, is the, this was the first bit of our reading. Jesus walked the way of the cross and he tells us to walk the way of the cross. Uh, we die to ourselves. It is costly, as I said earlier. And we'll think a lot more about that next term. But it's the way to life. Uh, There's a Bible out there. It's the truth. And the scriptures reveal. Every time we read it, we say, this is the word of the Lord. It's a faith position as much as we believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. 
But Jesus gives his authority to the Old Testament and his authority to the disciples who'd write the New Testament. And the church down 2,000 years has believed that this is the word of the Lord and that his truth will set us free. We read earlier on in Luke, uh, probably in January or February, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, that he dealt with the oppression of the devil by quoting the scriptures each time. It is written. And the scriptures have a power that our words don't have. We will get after Easter to the Emmaus Road at the end of Luke, Luke 24, when Jesus opens their eyes and opens their ears to understand the scriptures. We heard today they didn't know what he was talking about. But the risen Jesus opens up the truth for us to understand. And we stand with this truth. When there's debate in the church, when there's confusion, here is solid ground. Uh, There's a picture of a dove out there representing the Holy Spirit who when Jesus was baptised, we saw this in Luke 4, the Spirit came down on him like a dove. He was filled with the Spirit. He went through 40 days of testing. He left in the power of the Spirit. And God seems to work in us by his Spirit, allowing difficult things to come our way as as we choose to follow him, somehow he he uses it for good to make us more like Jesus. And we'll come, when we come to the end of Luke's Gospel, we'll read Jesus saying to the disciples, wait in Jerusalem till you're equipped with power from on high. And then Luke volume 2, which is Acts, we'll go seamlessly on to Acts, though we won't go the whole way through it. Uh, Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. So we noticed that this following Jesus, the way, the truth and the life, that's our purpose, fits really neatly with those symbols there. They've got to put those here. Uh, I remember wondering out loud last year, why on earth didn't we express our purpose that way before? And the answer was, before we did the redevelopment, it was so dark, it was really hard to read that. We, didn't, we knew it was there, but we didn't really notice it. And the redevelopment has put the, the light up onto those words. And that's what we're praying will happen. We put the light onto Jesus as we follow him and proclaim him. And we took a little while to work through our values. Now, there's so many Christian values. If we were to write them all out, it would take forever. But we thought, what are some values that we really want to hold to as a church in how we go about things? The values are about how do we do anything? And we came up with three pairs of values that we prayed into in the summer that settled well with us. The first pair fit well with the way, seeking God and serving him. This is the way that Jesus modelled you remember how he would go off early in the morning to pray and when people put demands on him he would sometimes say no to their demands because he was clear about what the father was saying. So when it comes to how are we going to go about reaching everybody in this area with the good news of Jesus, we will seek God for how to do it. We'll seek Jesus. First of all, we just gain some clarity on what we're meant to do. We're building team. Uh, we're working with other churches And he will lead us. If this is his vision, as we seek him, he will lead us. He managed to do an extraordinary amount in three years. This is a 10-year vision. uh, And if it's not Jesus' vision, then we're all wasting our time. So we'll, we'll seek him for how to do it. And then we will serve the way he leads. So this is for us as a church, but this is also for each of us as individuals. Please will you take some time over this week 
praying, Lord, what part do you want me to play in all this over this next year? Uh, Some of you may be doing too much and the Lord may call you to lay some things down. Others may have left it to everybody else so far and thought, well, it's time to step in. Some of you are relatively new to the church. We don't rush you in. Uh, But the Lord may be saying, why don't you help in this area? Uh, Each of us needs to seek him. Lord, what do you want me to do? And when each of us is doing that, as St. Paul talks about the body and we're connected to Jesus, the head, then we'll be able to do all the things he's calling us to do. Uh, The second pair of values we have as being humble and holy. Uh, Humility is saying we don't know how to do this and we don't know what's right. We submit ourselves to Jesus and we submit ourselves to his word in the scriptures. By holy, we're talking about being distinctive, being like Jesus. Jesus is the light and we're to reflect his light. Uh, We're certainly not trying to be holier than thou. you know, that sort of ghastly holier than thou that's not humble at all, it's proud. It's saying, we know we're not holy in ourselves. We need to be forgiven. But we're determined to live Jesus' way. We are called to be holy, to be light. Uh, in Philippians, Paul talks about shining like stars in a dark world. And it's that sort of holiness, that bright light. Um, And then the third pair of values, we talked about living generously and joyfully. They go with the life. And Jesus was full of joy and extraordinarily generous. He poured out his whole life and gave and gave and gave. And these are values that we believe are true of St. Paul's, but we want them to be more true. So they're all true to a certain extent. We're trying to seek God for how we do it. We want to serve him We want to choose to be humble, uh, to submit to him. We want to be more holy. We want to live generously and joyfully. Uh, And all of us have a part to play. So my role, as it's become clearer, has a wider dimension than just being based at St Paul's. The Lord's called me to be area dean in the Anglican church, to lead the mission hub with these churches in the area, Uh, as well as leading the Darston Evangelical Fellowship and being on General Synod. All of that feels quite a lot. And the PCC, very generously, a year or so ago, said, we recognise, Jonathan, you'll be torn, and I am, between loving being the vicar of St Paul's but called to wider ministry. And we had quite a funny discussion where the PCC kind of released me not to feel guilty about being one. I do feel that tension. This is my most important role, the one that God's called me to do but he's called me to do the others. And it's wonderful to have the team, the clergy team growing with Eleanor having settled in well with us and Andy and brilliant staff team and wardens and others and the team that is the whole church. So my particular role seems to be working with church leaders in the area, in the Mission Hub, gather, and and I'm enjoying that and finding being appreciated, being able to give time to church leaders in the way that bishops and archdeacons used to be able to do, but they often don't have the time now because life's got more demanding and busier and dealing with all the safeguarding stuff that crops up. And just being able to invest in local church leaders and help gather them together seems to be something I'm called to do. Eleanor's got a particular call on her life to help teams of lay people. So Eleanor, just come and say a bit about this. In our mission hub... Eleanor's got a particular role that's going to come out more next year. Tell us what that is. Absolutely. So um, 
You may uh, remember when John McGinley came and spoke to us at the beginning of this year, and he works with an organisation called Myriad, and they are passionate about new worshipping communities and helping churches think through how they might plant a church or start something new. And uh, one of the things I'm going to be doing next year is working with Myriad um, to lead a learning community in our mission hub, and potentially a little bit wider than that, for those in uh, local churches in our mission hub who are not ordained, so local lay leaders, who are um, maybe have just started a new worshipping community um, or just thinking about it and working out what God might be calling them to, whether that's a messy church, whether that's a, a church in a school, whether that's a new uh, worshipping uh, community in, in the actual church themselves. And over the year and a half, two years, uh, we'll meet um, over about four times. They'll have a, a mentor as part of that, thinking through how they uh, might go about doing that so that by the end of that time, hopefully there'll be a number of new worshipping communities in Brilliant. the area. There we go. Brilliant. And as you heard earlier on Saturday morning, we're praying into what might a new worshipping community in our local school look like. And if this is the right time, it seems to, to plant something new in the school, then that lay team, together with other lay teams around the area, will meet together for this learning community to share how, how to do this. Now, typically on Vision Sunday, I encourage you to do three things, and the same three things, to, to pray, to give, to serve. But often when we talk about serving, I say these are all the things that are going on in the life of the church. What can you do to serve? And that will still be there, don't worry. I know you'd be very upset if that wasn't there. But I really want to turn that on its head a bit this year to say what is God calling you to do out there beyond our church and how can we as a church and particularly as a staff team equip you for what God is calling you to do out beyond the church this is this mission hub area and some of you will be called and things beyond that how do we equip you for what you're called to do out there? The Christian message is both come and see, and we have a lot of things going on here people can come and see, but it's also go and tell. I love the fact that there's an Alpha course started at JLR, and some of our people from St Paul's helping to lead that. Who would have thought a few years ago that would have been allowed? And uh, it's happening in work time at JLR. If that can happen, it can happen anywhere. That is fantastic. What might the Lord be calling you to in your workplace? Is it getting a group of Christians together to pray, to seek God, say, how can we serve you here? Or maybe an alpha in your workplace or something like that. Uh, we talked about maybe a new worshipping community in the school. There are a number of folks in our community who are refugees from other countries. And there's a welcome here team in Leamington. But as a church, we feel a call to respond more than just helping practically. How do we help these people encounter Jesus? and serve them and love them and help them integrate into this community. It's been a particular delight to have our Hong Kong Cantonese Mustard Seed Fellowship being part of our church. You're very traditional Anglicans already. You always sit in the same place, just like every other Anglican. So um, I challenge you to sit somewhere else another week and shock us. But there we, we love you very much. And we love the fact that you're integrating so well in us by taking the back rows and showing how properly Anglican you are. And uh, that's, you are so welcome. And uh, we want to help that integration. So there, there are just a few examples of things beyond. But what do you notice? It may be one of our villages around. The idea, those, when we put the map up, 
those red circles were the bigger villages, like Long Itchington and Harbury and Kyneton and Wellsport. But then around them, there's lots of tiny villages. So we're trying to work with those bigger villages as they work with the tiny ones around. But it may be that there's a small group to really partner with a village church or a few individuals to do that. As often said, do you see a need out there? Clearly, to sort of help, help refugees is a need or loneliness. Is there a neighbourhood, an area, a village, a street, a, an area where you live? Is there a network, people who are networked, maybe young adults or particular people together? And would you ask the Lord, Lord, is there a group of people out there that you're wanting me to do something about? Now, you may think, what on earth can I do? Uh, what you can do is, on the form next week, there'll be an opportunity to say, I noticed this and I feel stirred by it, I'm bugged by it, I've no idea what to do. But it's my sense that as the forms come in, there may be three, four, five people, all with the same thing they notice, and we'll be able to link you together and start seeking God for what to do in that area. Rather than just being bugged by it and medicating it and doing nothing, let's listen for where the Lord wants to, you to serve out there as well as here. So as I come into land... Over this week, praying, Lord, where do you want me to serve? What should I stop doing? What should I start doing? How do I pray and how do I give? Just a few words about those and a few more on these next week. For prayer, we're seeking God. This is fundamental. Jesus, it's your church. It's your gospel. How do you want us to do this? If you haven't started a time of daily prayer, please do that. Almost forget everything else. Um, start that. Now, if you only do a time of daily prayer and then ignore God for the rest of the day, try and learn to walk with him all day to keep it going. Uh, praying with others is helpful. Perhaps being part of a prayer triplet or joining a small group. But specifically, can I encourage you to pray for five people who don't yet know the love of the Lord for themselves? I hope the next year we'll produce a prayer card with space for five you can put in your Bible. Maybe you want to ask, Lord, who would those be? I'm not going to stop you praying for more, obviously. Uh, but Lord, who do you want me to pray for? And if we're going to pray for those daily, then I think we can expect the Lord to be opening their eyes to wanting to find out more about him. Bartimaeus had heard something about Jesus when he got an opportunity, wanted to find out. There are people we'd love to invite in. The research says that half is it, was it half the people in our nation would respond well to an invitation to come and see, come and see something. But let's pray for five. I want to encourage you as well to pray for one of our mission partners. So to, we're looking beyond ourselves. Now, those of you who are intercessors will already be praying for all our mission partners. Brilliant. Don't let me stop you. But if all of us would pick one, or maybe two, we have local mission partners CAP, the, the debt centre, the Christians Against Poverty, The Well, Thrive, Food Bank, Street Pastors, lots more other things, Flourish, a lot of people involved in, loads of other ministries in the town. Why not pick one and get their prayer news and pray for them and maybe offer to help with them? Or it might be one of our mission partners further afield, Stu and Rosie out in Brazil, working with particularly girls who've been abused and helping them integrate and helping the poor find food. John and Hannah, doctors in Central Asia, 
using their medical skills and sharing the good news of Jesus. Rachel and James in Albania, working with young adults such that they don't try and leave the country, but they come to faith in Jesus and stay and become leaders in that nation. Uh, Teresa out in the Ninigo Islands, working on literacy with the Samat people in the Ninigo Islands. Claire with her evangelistic cafe in Argentina. Richard and Catherine, who've given their life to Friends International. They're retiring in March and we'll celebrate them, but it may be international students. Or Notdeck out in Uganda. Or Battelle, working with people with addictions. Or Open Doors, working with the persecuted church. Or CPAS, with a vision, a bit like ours for this area, to have the gospel come to the whole nation. Pick one and get on their prayer letter regularly and write them encouraging notes. And this is, our vision is not just what happens here, it's beyond us. Pray with others. And come and pray at the source, our monthly time to pray together. There's usually about 50 here. It's great. We always meet with the Lord. It's slightly different every time. But come and pray. As I said, in two weeks' time, we'll both be praying into what's going on in the Church of England as we let the dust settle from General Sid and see how to pray, but also for the whole Christmas season. So that's praying. How am I going to pray? Uh, Giving. So ministry costs money. This is the annual time of year we invite you to pledge your giving for next year. Uh, We do this every year, um, sometimes when it crops up in our preaching a, a, a second time as well. But we get pay rises, things get more expensive, We may have retired and be on less income. We need to reconsider our giving. Uh, It's part of our discipleship. God is the great giver. We're made in his image to be generous. And we cannot outgive God. I challenge you to try. But our values are being generous and joyful. And as you know, and I'm sure I'll say this next week at some point, the Lord loves a hilarious giver, a cheerful giver. We pray there'll be great joy as we offer our pledges. So it's that time of year where we ask people to pledge their giving for next year. Helps us as a PCC as we budget for what we can do. Um, we're going to have a provisional budget at our PCC this time, but in January we'll really be able to see in the life of what's come. If you've newly joined us, please sign up to our giving scheme. You can get cards for the parish giving scheme at the welcome desk, or you can find it on our website. This is just wonderful. You give regularly to them. They collect the gift aid for us and give it back. It used to take Mike Lingard so much time with hundreds of gift aids. And now they do it all for us. So please sign up with that. And uh, if you are signed up, please review your giving generously. Um, Everything's gone up at least 5% and some more. So costs are going up and the opportunities are going up. And we're trying to bring extra resources here to overflow further afield. Uh, Let me say one more thing on that. Please put a legacy or consider putting a legacy to St Paul's in your will. Juliet and I have always done this. We redid our wills this year. If one of us dies first, everything goes to the other. But when we're both dead, before it goes down to the kids, we've tithed our will to St Paul's and the kingdom. We are looking to plant new worshipping communities. Wouldn't it be wonderful if just as we want to start something, you think, where's the money coming there's a legacy from a faithful saint just who, who it's there. And that would be so like the Lord to provide as we do it. So please consider that uh, and make sure your resources are used after you. And then serving. We serve beyond the church, workplaces. Lots of places need governance, trustees. 
uh, as well as hands-on with refugees or the school. And in our church, our children and youth, our students, our music, our tech, stewarding and hospitality. We're going to run loads of events next year for our 150th year to invite people to. If you're good at running an event, we'd love to hear from you so the staff don't get overworked. Uh, if they have to run everything, we'll need more of them. The idea is that we, there'll be social events, there'll be uh, events with talks, there'll be fun events. We'll tell you what they're all going to be about to invite people to come in. Uh, and the, uh, next autumn, we hope to run loads of Alpha courses. I hope our young people, our women's ministry, our afternoon tea Alpha, a main evening one, an online one, really to give as many people an opportunity to respond to the good news. Well, this week at Synod, I got the bell after three minutes. I've just seen that the clock after half an hour. And you'll say, thank goodness for that. Isn't it about time he shut up? Yes, it is. Would you stand, band, let's come back, and I'll lead in prayer together. And as we pray, can we put up these verses from Ephesians 3? I love these. These were foundational verses. Um, and we got Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. There we go. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even think of asking. All we imagine, according to his power that is at work with us, within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So Lord, we pray, pour out your spirit on our church, on the churches in this area, on the church in our nation, on the church in the world. You reign. Nothing is impossible for you. And you can do far more than we can even think of. So pour your spirit on our church, on us individually this week, on us as a church, as we think things through, as people who aren't here listen to the sermon, as I write a letter and people read it, as there's a response form. Will you release generosity of giving and time? Would you release faith to trust you such that we can do all the things you're calling us to do? And the individuals who are crying out with need will find their needs are met so much better deep down as they encounter you. So pour your spirit on us as we sing. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing, if you've got tiny people, could you go and collect them uh, as we've reached time? Uh, but otherwise, the rest will hang in there.